Hello, everyone on Zoom. Good morning, everybody here in the Zendo. Um, can you kind of, yeah. Yeah, if you could come. Yeah. Great. Perfect. Oh, good morning, good morning, good morning. <clears throat> so, being Buddhist in the real world. Last week during tea, I think it was Matt, and I also think Shulong were expressing the difficulty of you might say being upright, being a Buddhist <laughs> in a generally non-Buddhist world and how difficult that was. And so I thought today uh, I would address some of that difficulty and um, I want to leave a good bit of time, if possible, for, for discussion. Um, so I'm hoping to have an abbreviated talk today, although that's often difficult for me. Being Buddhist, first of all, it would be important to ask this question, what, what does it mean to be a Buddhist? Um, does it mean that we worship Buddha? No, it does not mean that. Does it mean that we uh, hold to a fixed set of beliefs? No, it doesn't, doesn't mean that. Does it mean that we have achieved uh, something that nobody else has achieved or seen something that most people haven't seen that we're somehow special. No, it doesn't mean that. Does it mean that we're defined? That our, our lives are absolutely defined by this label Buddhist? No, it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean any of that. If we go back to Buddha and what it means to be Buddha, all Buddha means is awake. That, that is what it means to be Buddhist. It means you're awake. It's that basic and yet, it's often said that a child can understand that to be what it means to be awake. And yet an 80 year old person still has a hard time being awake. And I suspect that um, most of us can notice, although noticing is being awake, when we are basically sleepwalking 
when we are not fully awake and present to our lives in the world. And we can often notice that in other people. And I often give the example of, you know, you're talking to somebody, you're having a, a significant conversation and suddenly you can see there's some sort of a drift in the person's eyes, right? They're, they're like, they are not there. <laughs> they're somewhere else. And you often will have to say, hello. <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah, I'm back. You know, I'm back. And that often happens with us. I mean, I'm driving a car and driving and driving, and I'm, I really slipped into some sort of zombie-like um, state of being. And suddenly I notice my shoulders are all the way up like this. I think, oh, you know, I've suddenly realized that I'm not fully present. I'm on what is called automatic pilot. And we are so assaulted by so much stimulation that it's hard to actually be present to things uh, as they arise. Um, we just seem to be having to turn up the volume to, to notice anything, uh, that, that, that things have to become really, really almost violently uh, uh, assaulting our, our senses for us to notice it um, because everything is competing for our attention, <laughs> everything. And so we sometimes just turn off turn off this, what do they call it? Attention deficit disorder. That's a healthy thing. We, we see it as a, as a kind of um, uh, disease or uh, dysfunction, but we don't have, we have a limited amount of attention that we can give anything. And when we are demanding, we are being demanded too much, we just don't have it. We don't have enough attention to give to everything that is calling for our attention. So it is, it is difficult to be awake and to stay awake and to continue to be present, to give our attention, which is probably the, one of the best and most precious gifts we can give anything, you know, a puppy out there. You know, it's like puts puts our paw on me. Everything's pawing. <laughs> Look at me. Look at me. Pay attention to me. And so, being awake, being able to uh, slow down, slow down uh, uh, the assault on our attention. And instead of turning up the volume so that we get to notice something amid all the chatter and noise and static in our world, we turn down the volume, turn down the volume so we can be more awake to the things that present themselves to us. So, okay, being awake in this world, being awake in this world, being present and attentive to 
what is happening in what we call the real world. This is not the real world. This is an artificial construct uh, that we've created to practice being awake. The real world is out there, somewhere out there. Well, where, where is this real world that we're, uh, we say, well, when we're meditating, everything is fine. But then when we get into the real world, there is all of this static, all of this stuff that it's hard to stay awake to. One of the ways from a Buddhist perspective that we describe the real, this real world, we, we speak about the eight worldly dharmas. The, world's, the world that we live in from day to day is typically governed by these eight worldly dharmas. What are they? Pleasure and pain. We are governed by our desire for pleasure and our aversion to pain. Yes? Yes, our world is governed by pleasure and pain. It's also governed by gain and loss. We want particularly we want more <laughs> and better and um, we want to accumulate, we're ambitious, we want to achieve, we want to gain and we, uh, we're averse to losing. We don't want to fail. We don't want to lose anything that we have. We just want to continue to accumulate, right? He who dies with the most toys wins, right? <laughs> Gain and loss, pleasure and pain, right and wrong. Yeah. Okay. We, we want to be right. We, we want to succeed. We want to be noticed. We want to be special. We want to have the knowledge. We want to have the control. And we are averse to failure, to being wrong. And the last set of worldly dharmas is fame and obscurity. Now, I suspect that most of us don't want to become, you know, famous in this sense of we want to be Nobel Prize winners, but we want to be special. We don't want to be obscure. We don't want to disappear. We want to be recognized. And this is a form of fame. We, we don't want to feel like nobody sees us, like we're invisible. You know, we want, we want recognition in some form. So we're governed in this world by these dharmas. Winner, win and lose, pleasure and pain, Fame and obscurity, right and wrong. 
And this is the world that we live in. So how do we bring our practice, which really is not governed by any of these dharmas, into this world um, of all the things we are practicing uh, to avoid, to get beyond? I think Matt last week was saying, well, how do I not gossip when everybody around me is gossiping? Again, precepts. How, how do I observe right speech when everybody is attacking one another and, and, and stabbing each other in the back and, and sped, spreading rumors? Um, how do I avoid gossip when everybody else is doing it? How do I avoid uh, getting drunk, intoxicants, when everybody else is drinking and everybody else is, I remember being at a party once in uh, California many years ago and everybody was high. Everybody was just completely high. And I was the only, I, I've never even tried pot. I'm probably the only person I know who has it. <laughs> anyway, it was just surreal. I mean, and it's not that I was being so uh, self-controlled. I just was afraid <laughs> of what it would do. But it was very strange. And I really felt everybody is having such an amazing time. Why don't I just do it? Um, okay, so everybody's drinking, everybody's partying. How do you avoid getting, getting, you know? Everybody's fighting. And how, how is it that I cannot fight, become adversarial? You know, we live in an adversarial culture. It's fighting going on all the time. Win or lose, you know, it's a dharma, worldly dharma. How do, how do I avoid anger when everybody else is angry? How do I avoid lying? Another precept, right? When there's all this misinformation out there, when people are lying all the time and manipulating people. Man, we're, we've got a challenge, <laughs> you know, as Buddhists who are trying to be awake. And as my mother, before she died, said, be good. How do we, how do we manage this? Hard. That's the phrase, nobody promised you a rose garden. Matter. <laughs> so what made you think it would be easy? The spiritual path, as we know classically, is a struggle. It's not an easy path. And if anything, as Buddhists, we are on a path. We're on a path to liberation. And so how do we manage this in 
the world of eight worldly dharmas? Well, in the Jukai ceremony precepts, we begin and actually we end our service usually with taking refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. We take refuge. We take refuge in the teacher, this, this enlightened being, you, the teachings, we take refuge in those teachings and we take refuge in the Sangha, the community of kindred spirits who support us, who, who accompany us on the path. And so we take refuge in, in those three dimensions of our practice. And by taking refuge, we have the support to be in this world of eight worldly dharmas. There was a, a wonderful radio program called, I don't even know whether it's still on, um, Prairie Home Companion with Garrison Keeler. Anybody? No? Yeah. Okay. Some people know it. He spoke about his childhood in Minnesota, which is very cold state, when very severe winters. And when he was a child, this was before busing, he had to walk a long way from his school to his home. And often in really severe storms, snowstorms, ice, and really cold weather. And his town got together and they, in compassion for the children who had to make this journey in the cold from school to their homes, they got together and they developed what they called storm homes. And they had little signs along the route from school to the various homes in the village. And the, the home said, storm home. What did that mean? It meant that any child, it's just so touching to me, that could any child could stop off in this house and get some hot chocolate <laughs> and cookies on his or her way home. That's a refuge. It's like a refuge for the children. That's a storm home where you could be warm for a while. You could have some hot chocolate. You could be safe. You could be comforted. And you could go on your way. So in, in some sense, I regard our, our Zendo as a storm home. This is a safe place. There's warmth here. Not hot chocolate, but there's tea. <laughs> 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 and cookies. 
So eventually that refuge, that storm home becomes a place within you that you can find refuge. You can make that a warm, welcoming, compassionate, comforting place. One last example of taking refuge, which is a, a little, little different from this warm, comforting place. When I was in Japan a couple of years ago, um, visiting our home temple, um, I stayed at a number of um, inns in Japan and they have communal bathing. Most places in Japan, uh, this is not true so much in a contemporary Japan, but most places, most uh, residences did not have private bathrooms. So there was a communal uh, bath and there still is in, in many places. And all the places that I stayed in, there was communal bathing. I'm not used to communal bathing. <laughs> And it's not communal bathing in the nude. Um, and the first time I, I needed to take a bath and I went to the bathhouse, to the bath uh, place. And you usually use, leave your shoes outside the door um, before you enter the bathhouse. And I went down there and I saw two pairs of shoes. This is woman's, woman's. And I looked and I thought, oh, I'm not going in there. Um, I'm, I'm not gonna be naked in front of these other women. I just can't do it. So I went back up to my room and went back downstairs, hoping that there would be no shoes outside the door. But every time I went down, probably three or four times, it was still shoes in front of the, of the room. So I got up my courage and I mean, it was really, it was really challenging um, to consider being naked in front of other people particularly people I didn't know. And they also have, uh, I did go in, I did take my clothes off. And just prior to going into the communal bath, they have a full length mirror. <laughs> I do not have a full length mirror in my bathroom. <laughs> but it wasn't a pretty sight. <laughs> Certainly not something that I, I've ever really seen before, uh, myself completely naked prior to going in basically and being available in that way to everybody else in the room. There were two other women in there who don't, you know, who 
they were both Japanese and they don't, they weren't staring uh, and I wasn't staring at them, but it was, it was a profound experience to, to be naked um, in this cultural, very different cultural setting. Uh, and my understanding, of course, of Japanese society and culture is that this kind of physical proximity um, makes it easier for emotional proximity, emotional intimacy. That we, we don't have that really very much in this, in this culture where we're also, you know, it's like, um, you're invading my space. <laughs> well, there, it's communal space. There's no, there's no real private space. And it's a very different thing. And so I began just in, in thinking through this Dharma talk today, um, think, thinking of the analogy with what we do here as, as a communal, <laughs> kind of a communal <laughs> bath. <laughs> in which we can all be what we discussed on Thursday in book, book study, the naked self, the naked self. Something we don't usually want to face and are uncomfortable being just nakedly who we are. We leave our shoes like they do in the bathhouse, we leave our shoes down, down there. It's almost like leaving our, our costumes down there and coming up to bathe, <laughs> to, to this is something called forest bathing in Japan. Uh, and, and this is, is kind of a, a, a bathing, a, a, a cleansing, uh, of becoming naked to, to one another and to ourselves. And it can be uncomfortable, um, but it's a profound experience uh, to undress and to uh, be present in a genuine, authentic, honest, open way where you've, you've let your, you've let your clothing down. You, you've, you've let your costumes down. You've, as I've often said, taken your post-its off your body, you know, your student, mother, daughter, Zen teacher, you know, all these little post-its flapping around on your body. You just let them all go. And it doesn't really matter whether you know we're all masked, you know, it doesn't matter whether you've won or lost, whether you're in pain or pleasure, whether you're fam famous or not, we're all in the bath, we're all in the water together, we're all in the same boat, so to speak, in the same tub. And we're intending to become naked, to, to become intimate with one another, not just physically, but 
um, spiritually, spiritually open and undressed. So please return your cushions to their places and tidy, tidy up.